to turn on the recorder, but I'm turning it on now. Always start over. Yeah, <laughs> start over. Start over. <laughs> oh, thank you, Nina. <laughs> um, and so, um, so one of the things we see, whether we win or lose politically, is how do we practice with it? And practice doesn't mean we're happy with whether we win or lose. We may be happy when we win, not happy when we lose. But how do we <laughs> practice with reality as it is? on every level, on the most ordinary level, which is the political level, with the people we like and the people we don't like, <clears throat> and the things that make us happy and the things that make us unhappy. How do we practice with that? How do we practice with politics when it scares us what happens? Because it's a scary world sometimes, and that's that's true and bad things happen because of politics that's true and so how do we practice with it every step of the way because practice only works when we're actually involved in the reality of our lives not in the fantasy of our lives and so part of what practice helps us with is giving us a bigger orientation to everything, including politics. And so um, um, one of my friends, teachers, Jack Cornfield, he said uh, he really suggested to keep seeing the bigger picture as we're dealing with political situations which may make some of us unhappy. And he said, oh, you know, one of the first things he said, a little thing he sent out, he said, look at the sky. Look at the sky. Because the sky is doing fine right now, no matter how we're doing. And it starts to put how we're doing in a bigger perspective. And, and so looking at the sky means we can start to appreciate the vastness of reality and the kind of equanimity that might be needed to deal with change, because change happens, right? Everybody got that, right? Like, that, like this is, this is uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the right numeral. I want to say grade A, but then it's just like, you know, Dharma 101, change happens. Everything is impermanent. Everything is impermanent. Everything changes. That's the reality that's sitting right here. Because when I say everything, it's everything. Body, heart, mind, friends, family, good, bad, politics, it all, everything changes. And that's part of the reality we're starting to come into alignment with not so that we're passive, so we can respond intelligently to reality that's changing. And in Buddhism, um, they talk about the, um, 
that's a great, one of the great little metaphors um, that the Buddha used is the eight worldly winds. The eight worldly winds. And the eight wor worldly winds are praise and blame, gain and loss, uh, success and failure. And let's see if I can remember the last one. Republican and Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> I started with pain and pleasure. I thought it's okay. Pain and loss. Fame and ill repute. Yeah, yeah. Fame and ill repute. Thank you. And of course, Democrats, Republicans, and independents now. So it's it's gotten bigger. But and but that's it. And what's important, the Buddha taught. He said, pay attention to the eight worldly winds because they're always blowing. And you'll get one or the other. And if you believe them, if you believe the, that, oh, you're the praise or you're the blame that somebody gives you, that's suffering. If you can listen to what somebody's saying and see is it objective and what needs to be done, then you're using your intelligence and your awakeness to respond to reality. And part of seeing the winds of reality that happen is we can start to rest in the middle of them and see what's the right action to take. What really makes sense? What's important to us? And how do we want to respond to reality when we like it and when we don't like it both? And it's doesn't, and it's all part of the Dharma. As Suzuki Roshi said, he said, everything is perfect. Everything is perfect, but there is a lot of room for improvement. <laughs> now that, that's a great Dharma teaching in and of itself. Everything is perfect, because he's pointing to the nature of reality. Is we, we have no control over reality. It's, it does its thing. And it's done all of this perfectly in some ways. It doesn't mean it's all the way we want it to be. Here's another, uh, since I, I, got, I found that quote from Suzuki Roshi, everything is perfect, but there's a lot of room for improvement. I found another quote about perfection from Robert Blythe. He said, perfection does not mean perfect actions in a perfect world. Perfection does not mean perfect actions in a perfect world, but appropriate actions in an imperfect world. Appropriate actions in an imperfect world. And that's what the Dharma can bring us is that that's why we that's why we sit here and pay attention to what's here so we can begin to see what's true what's needed what's right action right response what makes sense what what how do we understand objectively what's actually needed now so that we and others can be free from suffering <clears throat> you know, and the, the tricky piece about perfection 
or our reactions to when things are imperfect in our view is that we're starting to what one of the things that's hard is our illusion is getting challenged our illusion is getting challenged oh it should be this way it should be my way it should be the way i think and there may be some truth in that but it's usually not total truth this is a, a, a little poem from isa Japanese man, poet. He said, where there are humans, where there are humans, you will find flies and Buddhas. Where there are humans, you will find flies and you and Buddhas. And so what's being pointed at is living with reality and then seeing what does it mean to wake up with reality and respond to reality and live with reality. And the Buddha did that in his place, in his time, in his era. And there are, it's very interesting to read the suttas, the original texts of the Buddha, because I, I have to be careful how I say this now. <laughs> I want, here's what I want to say. Oh, he wasn't as great as we all think he was. <laughs> no, he was even better than that. <laughs> he was a human being who woke up. And so he wasn't a god. He wasn't from a celestial realm. He wasn't from someplace else that, you know, you only get to, you know, after, you know, 25,000 years or something. He was a human being who woke up and he had a lot of human responses and then he worked with them and he had to deal with human beings and the human beings were not enlightened who he was dealing with. And so there's time and, uh, time and again you read stories about things happening with people and he's like, Sometimes he's like, oh, get me out of here for a while. I've had enough. Really, he says, I'm going to the woods. I'd rather be with the, the trees and the animals than with the, the monks and nuns even. You know, because people are people, right? Have you all got that? Have we all got that? But to be kind to people is something we learn because we first of all have to start by being kind to ourselves because we're the people who are people, right? We're it. And so learning to be kind to ourselves and then to one another, that's what it means to mature in the Dharma. <clears throat> and when things are difficult, like the elections have been difficult for many people, it's very helpful to get grounded in the reality that we are, we are in and to get to, to start to be aware of the timelessness of the Dharma that is also here. Right? It's not just the oh, everything changes and uh, here's a new election and new problems and new this and new that, that's true. But the Dharma is always here. 
And so we can start to rouse some of the values that we already know from our practice. We know something about the goodness of human beings and the potential of human beings to wake up. And, you know, we were talking for quite a while, which I'm going to get back to, about the Eightfold Path. But um, we've been talking about the, um, the uh, sila, or the uh, virtue, that is part of practice. The virtue, meaning the, what's called in the Eightfold Path, right action, right livelihood, right action, right speech, right livelihood. That's the virtue. Those are the engaged, what we could call engaged Buddhism that is already there from the Buddha himself, which is about, oh, how do we live a real life in a real world with Dharma values from what we know about waking up ourselves? <clears throat> and so <clears throat> reflecting on human goodness or becoming a beacon of virtue ourselves, of integrity, of being real, so that we have integrity in our action, or integrity in our speech, and not harming other beings is a virtue that changes the world. And it's really maybe one of the most beautiful things I could say tonight is that we all have the possibility for changing the world by how we act day by day by day. Because those actions then ripples out into reality. Into, they ripple within us and they ripple with the people who we're relating to and how we're acting with them, treating them, relating to them, responding to them, and then on to the whole world. <clears throat> and and the very simple values in Buddhism, right? Greed, hatred, and, and ignorance cause suffering, right? Greed, hatred, they, they don't help. They're not helpful. Let them go. Or at least pay attention when you feel the dynamic of greed or of anger or of hatred or of fear, instead of believing it, right? Start to study it so that we can wake up and be free of it rather than suppress it or deny it or act on it. Because we're not, suppression is not really freedom either. And, you know, very, it's very commonsensical, Buddhist values, right? Love is one of the values. Kindness is one of the values. Generosity is one of the values. Wisdom brings an end to suffering. Nurture them in yourself, and that will change the world. The Buddha said it this way. He said, hatred never ends by hatred. Hatred never ends by hatred, but by love alone is hatred healed. This is an ancient and eternal law. Hatred never ends by hatred, but by love alone is hatred healed. This is an ancient and eternal law. And so we're starting to come into harmony with the uh, Dharma and with the uh, 
way things are and have always been. <clears throat> and so, as you live your life, even this week, see what it's like to cultivate compassion and compassion for everybody, even the people you don't like. You don't have to like them. I want to be careful about that. Please, don't like. You don't like somebody, don't like them. But be compassionate towards them, right? You don't have to like your enemies, but you can be compassionate towards them. And it might be a fierce compassion at times, right? This is not just Pollyanna compassion. Sometimes it's, a, it's all, you know, it's, it's like bubbly pink compassion, right? That's really great when that happens. But sometimes it's fierce compassion, it's sword-like compassion. It's a compassion that doesn't put up with bullshit, but doesn't denigrate the person who's uh, uh, um, performing the bullshit. You still see their humanity even if it's an ignorant humanity or a confused humanity or a misunderstanding of what brings true happiness that this human being is acting out of. <clears throat> and of course, one of the great examples of this is the Dalai Lama, who, um, you know, has had everything taken from him, um, meaning his country, his culture, his people, language, everything by the Chinese government, you know, by politics, basically. And, um, and he still is compassionate to the Chinese and the Chinese government. And that's really important. And he's very interesting. Actually, I saw something about this in another uh, thing I was going to read. This is from, uh, who is this from? Shoot. I gotta remember. Oh, Norman Fisher, good friend, um, Zen teacher. I actually saw Norman at some, some other event recently he was doing for, uh, for, a, for a Jewish synagogue. He was talking about the Buddha and the Baal Shem Tov, which is like, Nothing I've ever heard before, but okay. Anyhow, he said, he talks about the Dalai Lama has gone through, he said, think of what the Dalai Lama has gone through in his lifetime. He maintains daily practice, he maintains kindness for everyone, even though he lost his country and his culture at the hands of a brutal regi regime. Yet he doesn't hate the Chinese and finds redeeming features in them. He maintains his sense of humor. He has turned his tragedy into a teaching for the whole world. Let's do the same. And so, and, and that's a beautiful understanding and way to talk about the Dalai Lama as an archetype of human potential. That, and that potential is sitting right here. And notice what happens if you think it's not sitting right here, right? Where did you get the idea that it's not sitting right here if you think the potential to be the Dalai Lama even is not sitting here? And I don't mean technically, but I mean in terms of his integrity, his virtue, and his wisdom. 
because he's a human being. <clears throat> and sometimes people are really um, get distraught for good reason about politics because you know sometimes really in my uh, primitive language it sucks what happens I mean things are bad what happens and it can bring a lot of um, anguish with it but it doesn't mean we give up what we know about the potential for reality to wake up. <clears throat> this is from, uh, this is actually from Will Kabat-Zinn's grandfather. How many people know Will? Who Will is? Few people. Yeah, great. Well, Will's grandfather wrote this. He said, to be hopeful in bad times is not just foolish, ro foolishly romantic. To be hopeful in bad times is not just foolishly romantic. It is based on the fact that human history is a history not only of cruelty, but of compassion, sacrifice, courage, and kindness. <clears throat> what we choose to emphasize in this complex history will determine our lives. If we only see the worst, it destroys our capacity to do something. But if we remember times and places, and he says there are many, where people have behaved magnificently, this gives us the energy to act. And if we do act, in however small a way, we don't have to wait for some grand utopian future. The future, this is a beautiful line he has, the future is an infinite succession of presence. Not presence, but presence, right? There's an infinite succession, I'm gonna add a little, of present moments. And to live now as we think human beings should live in defiance of all that is difficult around us is, a, is itself a marvelous victory. And so that's what it means to wake up even when everybody around us might not be awake, is to live from what we know, from what's true, from what's real, and we change the world that way. And so, I'm, in my uh, noble attempt to weave in Thanksgiving, I hope you have a, a great giving of thanks for being here. And I don't mean here at SFI, I mean for being here. Because we all have our dukkha, right? We all have good things and bad things. But we're also alive right now. And that is somewhat magical and won't last forever, I can assure you. And so thanks is something we're giving. I, and that's the best part of the whole, not the best part, it's a part that I really like about the holiday, is that we're giving thanks. And Look for yourself, what, what do you want to give thanks for? Because there may be many, many different things that each of us could give thanks for. 
But just to be alive is quite magical. And we don't know how long it's going to be. You know, we, could, we don't know who could die tonight who's here. And so just for the moment-by-moment moment reality, we can appreciate being here and then giving thanks in that way. <clears throat> and of course, when I realized it was Thanksgiving coming, I went to my files. I have Thanksgiving talks. And I'm like, shit, I could have given a whole Thanksgiving talk. But, but, uh, but I did find one thing that I would like to read, and which is from Gregory Boyle, who's a Catholic priest who's worked a lot with young Latino men who've been in gangs. And he wrote a great book called Tattoos on the Heart. How many people have read Tattoos on the Heart? Few people. It's really one of the great books, I think, if you want to read a book about America these days and, and what's possible. And he, he had a piece about Thanksgiving. And he was talking to one of the young men he works with and on the phone. And, and, uh, and he was saying, well, what are you doing? What do you do for, what do you do for Thanksgiving? And the young man says, oh, uh, he says, I invited homies from the crew, you know, vatos like me, who didn't have no place to go. And, uh, and uh, he names five homies who come over, all former enemies from rival gangs. All former enemies from rival gangs. Really, I tell him, that was sure nice of you, but he's got me revved and curious now. So I asked him, what did you do? Well, he says, you're not going to believe this, but I cooked a turkey. <laughs> and you can, and, and, and Gregory Boyle writes, he says, you can feel his pride right through the phone. <laughs> wow, you did? Well, how did you prepare it? You know, he says, ghetto style. <laughs> and I tell him, I'm not familiar with that recipe. <laughs> He's, and he's more than happy to give me his secret. Yeah, well, you just rub it with a gang of butter and, a, a bu and throw a bunch of salt and pepper on it and squeeze a couple of uh, lemons over it and put it in the oven, and it tasted proper. And I said, wow, that's impressive. What else did you have beside turkey? Just that, just turkey, he says. And his voice tapers to a hush. Yeah, the six of us, we just sat there staring at the oven, waiting for the turkey to be done. Now that's practice. And then Gregory Boyle says, one would be hard-pressed to imagine something more sacred and ordinary than these six orphans staring at an oven together. It is the entire law and the prophets He's using Christian terminology. It is the entire law and the prophets all in one moment, right there in this humble, holy kitchen. Right. Thanksgiving. So we all have the possibility of giving thanks. Um, even if we're very upset about the election, which many people are, and and maybe for good reason. You know.
So maybe I'll stop there. So um, we have some time, your thoughts, feelings, responses, liking, disliking, agreeing, disagreeing with the talk. Always like to hear what you think or feel. And of course, sometimes people are really shy about the microphone. Lloyd's not, but sometimes people are. And but don't let your shyness stop you. We're we're all shy. Yeah. Even I'm shy. My name's Lloyd. Hey, you know, so um, I I asked Kitty earlier, and I I was curious. I've been fairly involved with this election, and um, uh -huh. and now I'd like to continue being involved. And, and I was curious if our Sangha had uh, any connection with, with maybe some kind of an interfaith group in San Francisco that is involved with local, national, what, just, yeah, that, that, that's involved with the political process. So would you like to be involved with an interfaith group that's, been, that's involved with the political process? I mean, right now I'm looking to, for a place to put my energy, and uh -huh. um, Great. yeah, I think uh, I so so I find it. I would like to uh, try to be involved because I found that being involved in this election um, was rewarding. I feel like uh, that even though my candidate lost, uh, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't. I felt like I did everything that I possibly could to get her elected. And um, so for me, there's a certain level of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And I would like to continue. And now I feel like it's, it's worth my, it's worth, I, I would like to stay with the process and, and, and try to be involved to, <coughs> to, to, to express my feelings in a positive way. And that seemed like sure. a positive place to do it. Sure. Well, um, here I'll give you a heads up. One is, be great if we were all involved, and it'd be great if you led the way by getting in touch with a, a interfaith group. And we have somebody, Don Neal, who's taught here many times and been part of this group for years, um, is very involved with interfaith ministry. Um, so um, I could give you her number later or an email or something and you could contact her and then you could lead the way for the group which would be great okay well I will I will contact her and I'll report back okay great thank you thank you sure please David. Hi, David. Yeah, yeah, pick it up to your, yeah, yeah, great. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, good, yeah. Uh, I appreciate what you said about how the, the thoughts on, on change and how change happens. And I've, I've just been noticing how um, the reaction to the change can be so different where 
like where if, if, if people are needing something different from what's happening, they need uh, a change from the status quo, change can be a very, a very positive thing in their life. But for others where it represents like Different, a different action from where we are in our in our zone, where we want things to go, or where we're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Then change can represent something very painful. Mm-hmm. So I can see how that's there are these two two different reactions. This is called politics. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, I mean really, and especially. One of the things that may be is we're seeing a big shift because we've had a really, uh, in my opinion, a very uh, real uh, mature person in the White House with a lot of um, respect for people and kindness in his uh, thoughts, words, and deeds. And so, and also we've had a uh, uh, a black man in the White House. And so we're seeing some of the reaction to who he was and who he was both in terms of being kind of a rational and um, respectful person to a lot of peoples and different cultures and different countries and also to the fact he was a black man which for a lot of people, it's still, we, we have all grown up in a racist country and we all have breathed in that, that uh, atmosphere. And so part of, we've, and so you get the, the different winds that happen and this is a different wind. And so the question for each of us is, oh, how do we practice with what's here now? And that, that the part, part that is part of practice, whether it's politically or personally or whatever it might be in our lives, where things change and are difficult. Like we get a bad boss or a boss we don't like or a boss we love, right? And it's a whole different world we're living in. And so it's the same question, except um, whoever runs the country has a lot of power. Okay. Please. Um, thanks for talking about this tonight. I have uh, kind of three different... Move it up a little bit, Faye. Yeah, great. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for talking about this tonight. I have kind of three different thoughts um, sure. on this. Um, when it, some of it was just hard to hear tonight because um, I just realized that um, being present was kind of what goes on in my body. Um, I can just get this real anxiousness, you know, about it, and uh, it would be easy to just kind of numb out to it and not, um, I don't know, not pay attention, try and not listen to everything that's going on for the next four years mm-hmm. um, and kind of I think what um, Lloyd was saying I, I mean for me I feel so powerless and um, you know that whole engaged Buddhism and that's like how do we do that and maybe Lloyd will help 
I have some ideas, but go ahead, keep going. And then the last thought is um, tomorrow I am headed to Wisconsin, which is where I'm from, and um, a family that has very different views than I. Right. And I actually used to have those views when right. I was back there, and then San Francisco changed me. Yeah. Um, you drank the water here. Huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I appreciate what you said about having compassion. Yeah. I, I really needed to hear that before I go back there. Great. So stay here. I have a couple things. So. Um, uh, appreciate what you're saying about the anxiousness and the body, the physicality of difficult feelings, because it's really good to be aware of them rather than just believing them, because they f it feels so real then, right? It's like, whoa, what the hell's going to happen? Because the body's not uh, grounded, and so then part of one's practice, and I'm just saying this generally for all of us, because this happens and all, is, oh, how can we get grounded in the body? It may mean going away with, from what's ungrounding us for a while and coming back so that we can, we can build some balance to be with things that really are hard for us. And it could be politics, it could be relationships, it could be anything, you know, work, any, any of that. We can have strong um, um, uh, somatic and, and uh, affective reaction to. And so being really kind to oneself means also going away from it and not listening to everything, really, because you don't need all the news. You, you just want to, and this is my view, this is my opinion, you, we want to know what's going on, but I don't need the details of what everybody thinks is going on. Right? Because everybody's giving you their shtick, right? Whether it's on whatever channel it is, or whatever newspaper it is, or whatever social media it is, everybody's everybody's consciousness is woven into that and they may not be the most enlightened consciousnesses. So I don't want that. I want to know what's actually going on, meaning the, the objective minimum, and then I can respond to that as best I can. But I don't need to respond to their pushing me this way or pushing me that way or their fear or their anger or their this or their, because that's just more dukkha. So that's one thing. And then you said something else really important about feeling powerless, which is part of practice, because we are powerless about a lot of life. But starting to get a little more comfortable with our powerlessness paradoxically brings a different kind of power. And, you know, I probably shouldn't say that, but I will. I mean, I said it, but meaning then I have to explain it, which is not so easy. But what it means is there's something about letting go that brings a dharmic power to be and then to respond. Good, you get that. Okay, great. And that, but it's, but it's so paradoxical because, right, we don't want to be powerless is what we think. 
But in fact, that's not where real power comes from. Real power is something more innate than we might know. Yeah, great, good. And then Wisconsin, I can't help you with. Meaning, <laughs> all I mean by that is, you know, I'm from Michigan, so I know, you know, I know Michigan Duca, and uh, so good, good luck. And and but also see what it's like. No, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you homework. You ready? See what it's like to practice while you're with your family. It's a practice, like everything else. And see what happens. And notice when you lose your equanimity. And equanimity doesn't mean, oh, you're perfectly fine. It means you see the big picture, right? Equanimity, actually, it's such a beautiful understanding. Um, it's like being on top, it's like when you're down in the world, like everything's just happening. But if you go up to the top of the mountain and look back to where you were, then you get a perspective on the whole thing, right? And that's one of the understandings. It's, it's looking over is, is part of the translation of, of uh, equanimity, of upekka. So let's see what you find and what, what shakes your equanimity and when the equanimity is there, even when you will not agree with your family, right? That's true. Okay, great. Good, good luck. Maybe we should stop there. Uh, we can stop with equanimity for everybody. We've got a couple minutes left. Let's sit for a minute. I'll end with a poem from Sharon Salzberg. Sharon says, she says, loving kindness and compassion are the basis for wise, powerful, and sometimes gentle Loving kindness and compassion are the basis for wise, powerful, sometimes gentle, and sometimes fierce actions that can really make a difference in our own lives and the lives of others. Loving kindness and compassion are the basis for wise, powerful, sometimes gentle, and sometimes fierce actions that can really make a difference in our own lives and in the lives of others. May the benefit, the blessings of our time together bring forward for ourselves our own loving kindness, compassion, and wisdom. And may it bring forward and be a blessing, bringing forth the kindness, compassion, and wisdom of everybody here. And may it bring forward and be a benefit be a blessing, bringing forth the kindness and compassion and 
wisdom of all beings in this world and in every world. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, from the misunderstanding of greed, hatred, and delusion. May all beings realize our nature, our true nature, and the unity of our nature, the Buddha nature that is both kind and wise. May all beings awaken. May all beings be free. May we wake up together. to see you all. I'll see you again next week. Please be well. Hey, one more thing.